0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Changemakers show. We've got a very exciting show today. I know I say that every week, but this is a genuinely, <laughs> genuinely exciting episode because this dude I'm about to introduce you helped me make a lot more money last year. Um, and not in any particular way other than just by being a little bit smarter. Didn't have to do any more launches. Didn't have to do any more practical, actual stuff. I just had to put profit first. And uh, my guest today, if you guys didn't get it by that little hint, um, then we definitely need you to read a very good book at the end of this episode. But my guest today has had over half a million book readers. He said four multi million dollar companies, sold two of them to a Fortune 500 company and a private equity company. But not only that, he's very real about some of his failures as well. Lost his house once, lost his fortune twice had over 10 failed businesses you guys know this is somebody uh, after my own heart so please welcome to the show mike bakalowicz mike what is up thank you for being here
1: it's wonderful to be here jamie thank you for having me and what's up is my blood pressure after that introduction (laughs) i didn't know you'd end on the 10 failed businesses
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah uh, that's that one is gonna definitely resonate with some people who are like man me too me too right and uh failures good folks let's not let's not uh, dwell on the bad things um Mike today might be a little bit different to other podcasts um, or maybe someone's talked to you about this before but I really want to focus on today's episode talking a little bit not just about what you do which is incredible across the board but how you do it um, so really quickly, um, just to get us started, what what do you think has been the biggest shift? We're in 2021 right now. We just yeah. through, went through a whirlwind of 2020 where some people's businesses grew exponentially. Other people had really tough times. Yeah. What, what do you think is um, the biggest thing people should be thinking about right now in, in regards to business?
1: So I, I believe that we have to accommodate new expectations. I don't think business is changing. I think the expectations placed upon business has changed dramatically. And you know, it's obvious for the retail outlets, but I think for any business. And uh, you know, we we're, we're we were talking over Zoom, and and you were on this cutting edge of Zoom five, six years ago, and I, maybe I was a little slower than you, but I was there. But now the world expects it. So for people that weren't regularly on Zoom, like customers like my, my wife, Zoom was brand new to her starting last March. And there's a lot of people like that. There's this virtualization that's coming about. And what I think is coming is radical virtualization, where we're going to go into VR type of meetings and connectivity. Um, there was just a conference my friend was at called Abundance 360. And at the event, they threw on Oculus uh, you know, masks that are designed really for gaming, but it is being translated into the business applications so quickly. They conducted a meeting uh, of all these different people throughout the globe in real time. And he's like, I-, I could not distinguish a real experience, albeit it's computerized, but it's like, it-, it was so immersive. I think businesses have to really start immersing in the virtual reality world.
0: That's interesting. So what do you, what do you think are some, um, for this person that's listening at home right now, who's maybe considering starting a business and we're going to dig in because I know today you're going to share a little bit about a brand new business that you're launching. And I'm really excited to dig yeah. into that. What do you think are some of the things that people can be doing to match these new expectations
1: in this new environment? I think one thing is to realize, regardless of what your business is, regardless of the size it is, the thing that you have that your competition can't have is your culture, your, your local culture. And I think there's an opportunity now to sell that across the globe. I know you're in Costa Rica, you're from the UK, so you're, you're, you're very transient. But a lot of businesses say and have thought, oh, my business is my neighborhood or my community. That's not true anymore. You could have a pizza shop in Italy, as an example, uh, that's selling to the Italian market. Well, you know what? Sell those services now. You're not selling pizza necessarily into the U.S. or Costa Rica, but What we're selling is the ability to start a pizza restaurant the true Italian way, or whatever it is. Uh, you know, and, and a classic example of this, at least for the U.S. consumer, is the little country of Jamaica um, took reggae and made this a it's brand around jamaica like it's hard to do reggae out of any other country and produce that music as indigenous that community and they've leaned into it well we can all lean into our local culture and then sell it globally i think that's a great opportunity that people are not seeing just yet
0: it's exciting actually because my girlfriend and and actually my dad have restaurants and and they have been definitely asking the questions of how can i survive this how can i adapt this and i'm going to send them that little clip because i think that's a really smart thing to think about we, you know, we have a restaurant
1: in a, in a flavor of this, no pun intended, but we have a restaurant in our own community who reached out to their past patrons who couldn't physically come in and they said, hey, we're going to start running cooking classes around our favorite menu items. It's exploding and it's more popular I mean, in, in, in regards to uptake and uh, more profitable than their old model. And what's happening is every you know, Monday night, they have a cooking class, but the community is connecting in a new way. You're, you're having fun with your neighbor over Zoom, cooking your favorite meal. And this restaurant is now an education center more than it is a traditional restaurant.
0: Really interesting. And I I remember reading about um, the education online industry being expected to grow exponentially. uh, This report a couple of years ago and I can't even imagine how much more the revenue is gonna be now with everything that's kind of happening. And, Mike, I love the fact that you're talking about doing these things differently, you know, because, of course, that's a lovely segue into your new book, which is (laughs) different is better. So um, I want to really ask you about some of the strategies and tactics of how you're taking this business from the ground up and some of the things that you're actually doing with the business. But before we do that, can you give us a little bit of context about why you wanted to create this business in this book?
1: Yeah. So I have the privilege of being able to be in contact with many of my readers um, in the tunes of tens of thousands of readers with a, I can't say regular dialogue because I can't speak with each one, but I'm regularly in contact with and able to survey and ask questions. And so I often ask, what's your biggest need? And it's very clear with the COVID pandemic that marketing in a new way that's effective is necessary. It's, it, there's, I, I call it 2020, 2021 now, not the great recession like we have before, but this is a great reinvention. Like So much is afoot. There's so much change. So marketing is going to become paramount again, effective marketing in a, in a new way. And when I say a new way, I'm not saying like what's the latest, greatest technology, but in a way that drives the results we need. So uh, that's why I started writing this book, and, and I found what I believe is a very simple framework for identifying marketing that works and executing on it and also identifying the gobs of marketing that won't work.
0: Interesting. So to start off with, just to give us the kind of the bare bones frameworks of it, um, can yeah. you walk us through what the, the products are going to be in this new business and, may, and maybe just enough, a, a rough idea of some of the prices of, of these different things that you're Yeah, doing? yeah,
1: for sure. For sure. So i me give you the framework of the system and I'll tell you how to translate it to business. So the so business model I use is I create a book, which is the The foundation of the intellectual property, and then build a business uh, out of that. And what happens is, I found when it comes to consumers of books, some people read a book because uh, they want to do it themselves. A smaller portion, but a portion of people are seeking a trusted knowledge source. They read a book and say, This guy gets it. And then they want it done for them. So um, the framework of the book is this principle I call the DAD framework DAD, it's an acronym, and simply says, Marketing that works, differentiates, attracts, and directs, D-A-D. Well, as people understand this, they're going to try to employ themselves, but a certain faction of people are going to say, I want to make sure I'm doing this right and I want guidance. The company we've started ensures you do it right. And and that's at at the most 30,000-foot level. That's the essence of this business and other businesses I've created. Give knowledge and then help people make sure they do that knowledge correctly. Just just like if you play guitar – you, you can read the manuals, you can practice, but there's a lot of people that still go to a guitar teacher to really perfect the skills. So our company's called Different is Better. And what we're doing is we are offering um, th- levels of engagement. One is uh, an accelerator or boot camp type experience, experience where you'll go through a short period of time. Actually, I don't know the exact pricing. I think it's like $2,000 or something like that. Then we're doing more immersive where uh, you'll work in a small group of people and we'll actually do marketing campaigns with you, maybe it's like four t- to 10,000, it depends. And then we'll do the extreme immersions where we're, we'll do it for you. You understand the principles, we'll take care of it for you. That's a little more of a Chinese menu, but that could be a, a much more serious investment, 25 or $50,000. So it is a tiered structure. And the classic thing is, you know, what we're, we just rolled out this company. And so we're, we're doing what's called a beta rollout, which I'd argue is the most important thing that many businesses overlook is the beta process. But from the beta, we've learned that the dispersion of people is the majority will actually lay in the middle. I thought it was gonna be the lowest level, these boot camps, but the majority seem that they want some form of active immersion where they are doing the work in conjunction with the other group of people and seeing through this process, not just learning the system the right way, but actually executing on it.
0: It's interesting because we've seen a shift in that in our business as well. People are just seeking, I don't know whether it's because we just miss people <laughs> as well as yeah. wanting more of the immersion, yeah. but, but we're seeing a lot more people that are, are wanting that higher touch kind of done
1: with you process, right? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I, um, I, I do a mastermind myself. I, I run one. I just do one a year. I mean, we meet multiple times a year, but one group of ten people. And uh, tomorrow we're meeting. Now I'm in New Jersey, and there is this ice storm, snowstorm coming through. So it's just prohibiting that we meet. With the COVID pandemic, we said we're still going to meet. We set up this room for sixty people. We set up for ten, so we're spread out, and uh, we're canceling. And two people reached out and said, "I, I got to see humanity. I'm going. I'm driving through <laughs> through this storm." And I'm like, oh, "You're putting we're." I don't think we really think we're putting our life at risk, but we're putting our life at risk just to be in contact with each other. And that's part of this shift is as we become more separated, we need each other more. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: you know, I, I think that's really powerful. Mike, I'm I'm always fascinated by successful seven and eight figure entrepreneurs who have done it once before who start a new business. Um, first of all, I, I, in the, my next question, I want to ask you about, you know, what does the strategy look like in the first 60 days of launching this business in getting it out past the beta? But first of all, why you said that betas is the most overlooked part of a business. A lot of people have different answers for this. Why to you is it so important that the beta is done well? Yeah,
1: because the beta allows you to refine what's really working. I think uh, entrepreneurs have a propensity to trust words when really we need to trust wallets. So I can go to a community and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing XYZ product or I'm going to start a new business. What do you think? And the world responds by saying, that's amazing. I would love that. If I, if I was ready to buy, I'd buy this. Or if I was a whatever, whoever you sell to, I sell to banks. If I was a bank, I would buy it. So we hear this hypothetical affirmations, but it's just words. It's, it's total nonsense. It's worthless. Uh, a true beta is where there's a a, a currency. There's a, a, a transaction, and I think it needs to be actual cash. So when we roll out a beta, we do it, really a better choice of words is it's an alpha state we don't even have a fully developed product. It's not even functional. We simply say, here's our idea. And we kind of bullet point the idea and say, this is something we plan to roll out. If you're interested in joining us, um, when we roll out the program, it's gonna be 2000 or $3,000 as a full program. But for our alpha members or beta members, we will charge, you know, four or $500. Um, do you want in? If no one's willing to depart with $500, what they're saying is the idea is not convincing enough. It, it, I'm not persuaded by it. If people are willing to open up their wallets, they're demonstrating through actions, there's validity to it. But I think my favorite part of the beta phase is then we start developing. It's rapid development as we're delivering. And we've prepared the customers for it. So we're like, there's going to be bumps and bruises. This is not going to be smooth sailing. We ask that if there's anything you don't like in this process, tell us so we can improve upon it. Well, the beauty of that is now I'm, justifi- I'm justifying, I'm adjusting the offering to match the customer's needs. But at the end, when we complete the journey, the likelihood of them having a positive experience is high because I catered to them, which means built-in testimonials. And that's the other part I see people not using in the beta. When you run a beta, now you roll it out in a full delivery state. You can go back to that beta group and say, here's the 20 or 10 testimonials of people already experienced it. And a customer most wants the validity of a prior customer having a positive experience. No, 100%. And, uh, yeah, again,
0: people sometimes try and rush through it, and, and it's, you know, one of the best things that you can focus on. Um, yeah. Can you walk us through what the launch plan is going to look like over the first 60 days?
1: Yeah, so four different is better. So we just did the beta, and um, we f- we found – actually, it's very interesting. We found a few things during the beta. We actually did two beta rollouts. The first beta, we got a fandom uh, base that bought the product where throughout understand what the product was – so we misinterpreted the data, we said, wow, there's more demand for this than we expected initially. That's fantastic. And then we learned, oh no, people are just doing this because they already are kind of in the biosphere. They, they bought it just because it's the next thing of something they are already familiar with. So it actually was not good data. The second introduction, we introduced it to strangers and that was a great learning lesson. If you sell to people that already know you, there's a no like and trust. If you try to sell it to strangers, the perception is different and the expectations different. In that group, we learned a lot more. We learned what's working, and we learned a quite a few things that weren't working. Now we're going into the full launch of, of the, the first 60 days, meaning now it's a it's a company. We formed the company. We've generated revenue from it. Now we're rolling it out. What we're, we've we discovered is for a launch of this, where it's basically you're taking an information product, a book, and then you're teaching more information, more hand-holding, that there is a desire for people to... to dip their toes in the water. The the book and the concept is so new to them, to ask them to take a significant step and do this immersion right out of the gate, it's confusing and overwhelming. So we are doing a short, kind of dip the toe in the water experience for a low cost point, not because we're gonna generate revenue, but we just want people to experience the team that's gonna be delivering this. At the end of it, then we're saying, hey, do you wanna do a true immersion where we're gonna be doing this on a perpetual basis together collectively? we'll see if that works. We did find in our beta stages, the immersion was the most desirable thing. The majority of folks wanted that. Now that we're going into the real world rollout, we're expecting to sell that, but we realize we can't just leap right to it.
0: Interesting. So, so on what you're talking about here, is it almost like a trial? So it's like, look, we, we know when you're in it, it's going to feel good. So we want you for a low you know, commitment to come and test it out. And then you're going to be like, oh, I get it. And, and they're going to go fully in.
1: That's exactly what it is. So uh, we call them Dib Experience. Actually, it's funny. I mean, this is how live it is. This is one of the experiments where we're prototyping That's how to paste it to my walls. we're testing out. But we call them Different is Better or Dib Experiments. This is the essence of the book's process. And this is what we're delivering as a trial. We're going to do one Dib or Different is Better experiment in this week. Now, in the reality, and we explain this right front, is that is a very compressed time period to go from marketing concept to marketing rollout, but that's what we plan to do. A hyper speed rollout of a marketing plan with the intention starting on Monday by Friday, we're seeing the first results from this marketing. When it comes to the next phase, we're going to be much more deliberate, uh, methodical in the process. And it's more of like a six month process or it can take longer to do strongly effective marketing. We just know or experience that early wins builds confidence. And so as long as people go in knowing this isn't going to be a massive win, going to be an early win and that's our goal i think the likelihood of people sticking with it is much greater the mistake we made in, the, in, in one of our betas too we said hey we're gonna do the full process and six months from now you're gonna be seeing results and people are like mm, too long i'm out so small win fast is better than big win long you know, and long longer or, or later
0: no that makes a lot of sense and um can you share a little bit about the the selling environment so how are you getting people enrolled into this after they do the trial
1: yeah, so the, the nice thing I have, and it's taken years to develop, is a uh, a readership, a, a, you know, base of readers. So one thing that's really interesting, actually, it's funny. I um I was at a event with other people that are building businesses, and they started talking about uh, cost per prospect or you know the acquisition cost, and people were throwing out numbers. Oh, it cost me you know a hundred dollars to get a customer in the door. It cost me fifty dollars, and I, I we all calculated our numbers in advance. I said, this is weird. But I'm saying, I get paid about $4 per prospect. And they, get, they said, you get paid for a prospect? I said, yeah, because my prospecting system is my book. It's a revenue generator. And based upon the royalties and advances and stuff, I said, it looks like it's about $4, I net positive, to get a customer in the door, which is very atypical. Most people are like, I got to run you know Facebook ads, or I, I got to run a traditional direct mail campaign, or something like that. Um, that model's flipped for us. But I think the most fascinating thing is when a person is buying your book or buying your marketing in this case, they're much more endeared to it. They believe in it more because they've made an effort to acquire that book. When, when I'm trying to market to someone to them, I have to persuade them, convince them to get past the hump, oh, he's just trying to sell me something. Um, for me, I'm not trying to sell something to people. People are trying to buy something from me. They're like, oh, I already got this guy's book. Let me go further. It really flips the model and it puts me in a much better position quite frankly
0: no that's really interesting and um obviously it's highly successful for you because you can see how many books that you've written and you know i'm i, I go on mike so i, I look like you want to say something
1: huh? oh yeah i, mean, I just gonna say yeah, i did do the uh, i have something else to say face <laughs> uh, um this company different is better is not our first uh, venture into this so profit first i've Profit First professionals an organization i wrote clockwork i built an organization behind that called run like clockwork for the pumpkin plan i have Pumpkin planners. I, the model I figured out, so it's not like this is the first time experiment, experimenting with a model. It's the the product choice within it. But to your point, it's working, and and I think it was Seth Godin who said this, but someone said like, it, it, I think it was in Purple Cow. You know, once you're milking that cow, milk it for all it's worth. Uh, it's only going to run for a certain period of time, and this model has been working so successfully for me. I'm like, I'm really trying to lean into as much as I can before it exhaust itself, and I have to create a new product or new model.
0: Yeah. For somebody that, that is, you know, starting maybe um, early days or maybe they've got, you know, a beginnings of a successful business, um, would you recommend like following this same model that you're doing? You know, creating a book and, and then building it out on the back end?
1: Yeah. I've had quite a few authors ask me about this too. Like, oh you know, should I replicate that? Should I do it? Or you know, give me your version and uh, it works for me. I, I think the risk though is there may have been a tipping point of when it was successful. If I did it with, I wrote a book called Surge that is just, sadly, it's not popular. And, and the, the shame is on me. I, I didn't promote it the way I should have been. I didn't write it the way I should have written it. I believe in the concept, but I didn't write it well. It's very hard for me to make a surge business. Um, I think the book has to hit a tipping point where there's natural lead flow. That becomes very persuasive to start a business when there's enough demand and enough natural calls coming in saying, how do I go further with your book? I'm not getting that surge. I think some authors that I spoke to said, yeah, I'm going to do this licensing, model, I'm going to sell the license, but they don't have enough pent up demand. And uh, therefore, you're going to have to subsidize that with some other form of marketing, which may actually even defeat the book. So I think it's a great model. But I do think it's a one-two step. Like you got to get enough momentum in that book. There's got to be enough demand for that book for it to have that natural next step. I think. Yeah.
0: No, I, I find it fascinating. This is this is a bit of a, a different angle, but just something I'm super curious about. Um, Mike, what do your days look like? Um, there's a lot of entrepreneurs I speak to who are just absolutely slam busy. Other people prioritize family. Other people, you know, um, yeah. enjoy. You know, they're the Elons of the world that love hundred-hour. weeks. Oh yeah, I don't <laughs> care.
1: Yeah. Can you walk us through yours a little bit? Yeah. So my work, my day is, um, I really want to do what brings me joy. And to me, the perfect business is the business that I can't wait to start in the morning. And the perfect family is I can't wait to go back home. And, and I, I feel I'm living that, that I can't wait to work. And I can't wait to be home. It's a wonderful situation to be in. I do have a, a very regimented or system, a systemized approach. The first thing is I've really invested in what are the very few things I'm good at and want to do what gives me joy and concentrate there and have everything else uh, outsourced in some capacity. I have actually employees, I have all my employees do it, but for me it's, I love to do two things, write books and be a spokesperson. So this is, I consider a spokesperson, you know, basically sharing ideas and promoting the books and I love writing books. My structure is every morning, including this morning, 6am in the morning, I usually get up at 5 30 ish, no alarm. I just get up when I get up, but 6am I'm writing and I actually do it with a team of other people that are writing books. Just because there's this ultra accountability. Uh, by seven o'clock, I'm off to the gym, exercise gym, and uh, if I'm in the season of writing a book, right now I'm in the off season. Me, I'm not actively publishing a book, but if I'm actively writing a book that's going to be published, that six that one hour a day turns to about four or five hours a day, um, and the rest of the time is is being a spokesperson for the brand. Um, thir- Thursday's podcast day. Actually, it's funny. My wife knows. It. She goes, "How many today? I'm like, "I have eight podcasts today," and. Uh, it's awesome because it, it builds exposure. You know, selfishly, it builds exposure for, for the work I'm doing. Um, so I do. Have it. Friday is my uh, invention and vision day. The the entire day is blocked out. I don't do any uh, routine work. Mondays and Tuesdays are typically content production. Um, so it's I have a very regimented schedule, and it's been serving me well. I think the best part though is by by limiting the few things I'm doing, um, it's forced me to build a team who I just love and admire and adore, who runs the day-to-day operations. Um, that's been very important for me.
0: No, that's, that's really powerful. And it's interesting to hear you blocking out Fridays and, you know, for the, you know, future and planning and for what you want to kind of create. That, that oh, I like that Friday, Friday futures. I, you know, yeah.
1: I, I like alliteration like that. That's the, I'll probably call it
0: the <laughs> future. Now. So Mike, Mike, my last question is actually related to publishing because that's kind of um, what, what I love when it comes to podcasting. Um, what, what, are, what are your biggest things that you're looking to do when you're publishing and um, promoting a new book in terms of getting out there, creating content and being visible?
1: Yeah, so when it comes to publishing a book, I think the first thing that's important to me is, is have I written a book that's life-changing? Actually, I'll see if I can show you. This is my home office because we have a snowstorm today, but I want to show you some with this camera. Right there, if you can see it, it's, it's, maybe it's a little up, but in the handwriting, that's my parameters for writing a book. So anytime I'm considering writing a book, in the top left, over oh, there is focused now. In the top left, it says, "Do I write the book?" <laughs> and there is the things I have to ask myself, yes or no, and I have the, the process. Um, here a little bit over this.' It's just ideas I have for future books. So that is part of it is, am I writing a book that's important and impactful? That's the essence of it. Once I have that, can I bring extraordinary simplicity to the concept that is life changing for people? Meaning, I don't want to share the same thing that they've heard a million times over, maybe the same thing, but present in a way that makes it so simple this is the time they can finally do it. Then, when it comes to marketing and promotion um, of books, I found there's probably four major things to do. First of all, your own community is your best community. you got to, I've got to. Uh, keep serving them um, so that I, I have the right or the ability to ask. And so I will ask, hey, would you, would you buy my book now? And in that ask, I also know it will be of great service to them. So it's kind of self-fulfilling. The second thing is uh, the influencer network. You know, I can sell one book at a time per person, but you, Jamie, or someone um, could sell 100 books to your community. So the relationships with influencers and being of service to those folks is very important. Um, and then I think the, uh, the next thing is, is I call it street teams is, or, or buzz warriors, other people call it street teams. It's where there's certain avid readers you have that will just do the extra mile because they're on the mission. It's more than reading a book. They have something, something to prove and to really understand and cater to those folks. And then the final, the fourth and final thing is just gorilla. What's the thing that someone's never done before? And those things they're the shot in the darks. You know, it, it could be a hit, it could be a flop, but nothing will happen if you don't take the shot. With uh toy paper entrepreneur, for example, this was my first book. Um, I wanted to get in the retail shelves of like Barnes and Nobles and stuff, but they would never take the book. So what I did with my friends is we snuck books into, literally sunk them into Barnes and Nobles, stacks of them. And we were putting them in the, sh- we we're stocking the shelves at, at Barnes and Nobles with toy paper entrepreneur. <laughs> and uh, what happened was, and this was all throughout the uh, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, some people started to buy the book. And then there was this mass confusion. I got the cashier like, uh, we don't carry this book. And the customer's like, but I'm buying it. It's in my hand. Right. Like, but we don't carry it. And they're like, you, you do carry it it's on your shelf. I got a call from Barnes and Nobles. They bought in one day, they bought 3000 books. Uh, they said, we're selling your book. We don't know how we are. Uh, we need to get this in our system. And they bought the books 3000 in one shot from me in one day. That that was a guerrilla tactic. And so I'm constantly Trying new ones. They don't all succeed. That was a good hit. Um, I'm trying other ones too now. So I love that. Mike,
0: I appreciate your time immensely. I know you've got to jump on to other interviews. Um, yeah. For people at home who want to get more from you, uh, you've actually created some amazing freebies. You can go to changemakersmovement.com forward slash Mike. And Mike has very graciously given you guys some amazing stuff for free. Um, anything else to say just before
1: we finish, Mike? Just, just if you want to learn more about my biosphere, uh, the website to go first, first start there. The, the second website to go to is mikemotorbike.com. It's Mike It's No one can spell It's So go to mikemotorbike.com and uh, there's a lot of additional resources and just a fun time. I have a lot of Easter eggs on my website. Amazing. Mike,
0: thank you so much for being here on the interview. I appreciate you so much. And uh, yeah, thanks again for writing Profit First. It's uh, really changed me.
1: <laughs> that means the world to me. Thanks for saying that, Jamie. Thank you.